0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the BlockWorks Macro YouTube channel. This is Alf speaking, and today I have the honor to host uh, my friend, Brent Johnson, who is also the CEO of Santiago, Cop- Santiago Capital, a wealth management firm in Puerto Rico, but you all know him already, so no need for introductions here.
1: How are you doing, Alf?
0: I'm uh, I'm okay here, but these guys on, on BlockWorks and Twitter, they make me work so hard, man. It's incredible. <laughs> You've got to deliver everyday info, but that's yeah, what yeah. we're here for. Um, I want to pick your brain on FX. It's okay. been kind of a deadish market for a bit, for years actually, and now it's back to life. So I have a couple of questions, but let's start from the first sure. one. What's your take on the dollar broadly against a bunch of currencies? And then we're going to deep dive into each one of those.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, I think it's pretty well known at this point that I'm a big dollar bull. Uh, not because I necessarily want to be, but it's just because I think that's what's going to happen. Um, I think there's a number of structural issues going on in the global economy, not just the US economy, um, that will ultimately force global capital into the dollar. Uh, I think we'll probably get a massive blow off top in the dollar. And then after that, the dollar will be the last thing you want to have. But in the meantime, I think uh, the dollar will go up versus a number of uh, global currencies and perhaps, perhaps all against all global currencies.
0: All right. So let's try to unpack some of the macro drivers behind Brent. So you say there are a number of structural challenges in the global economy that's driving capital towards the dollar. Help us out,
1: please. Well, long story short, I think we're kind of at the end of one of these uh, debt super cycles, for lack of a better word. Um, um, If there was a situation where, I mean, I think everybody's pretty aware that the U.S. has an enormous amount of debt. I think we're the largest debtor in the history of the world. And that will ultimately end very poorly. Sorry, my dog is down here scratching at my foot. Um, <laughs> uh, I ultimately think that's gonna end very poorly for the US and the US dollar. Um, but the issue re- that I see right now is that the rest, much of the rest of the world, in fact, most of the rest of the world is in the same situation. Um, that's a little different from country to country, but ev- ev- every country's government has been profligate. Every country's government has borrowed more than they can ever repay. And so the whole world is in largely the same situation. Um, What's a little different is that there's not a lot of Brazilian real issued debt from the United States. There's not a lot of Japanese yen debt issued in Australia. I mean, there's some, you can always, there's always exceptions, of course. Um, But there is a lot of US dollar issued debt from all these countries, um, all over the world. In fact, there's probably, if if you include the Euro dollar system, which is basically impossible to measure. There's, there's more dollars outside the United States than inside the United States, and there's more dollar debt outside the United States than there is issued by the United States. And so that debt is ultimately demand for the currency. And so, if all kind, that, that's kind of why the US has been able over the last couple of years to get away with, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, printing all the money that they did. And you and I both know they don't actually print money. We probably not, don't need to get into that right now, but, the, but it, it, it's why we were able to use such extreme monetary policy. And yet the dollar is higher than it was when we started this mess two years ago, right? Or 12 years ago or 30, however, you, however long you wanna measure this, the dollar's at you know, a 20 year high. That's um, not the same issue for you know, Brazil or Turkey or England or Russia or anywhere else for that matter. Um, there 's just incredible amount of demand for the u s dollar, and it 's because we have the global reserve currency and again, we have the global reserve currency for a number of reasons um, that we have a number of advantages that the rest of the world does not, and so because of all this dollar debt, and because I think we 're at the end of this you know sovereign not just sovereign, sorry, just a, a debt cycle, super debt cycle, when debt starts to uh, default or loans start to go into default or they don't get paid and money starts to get destroyed in that process, now all of a sudden you you have a situation where you have incredible demand, but the supply is collapsing. And because of the structure of the global monetary system where the, the US is the only, either the treasury or the Fed is the only entity that can put new collateral, new dollar collateral into the system unless it is loaned into existence. but in a credit in a credit contraction loans aren't being created they're being they're, they're, they're contracting. and so in that situation there's only one entity that can put new collateral in the system that's the, the Treasury, the Fed, basically the US government. you get into the situation where there's just not enough supply even though and, and there's incredible demand and even if they're doing QE, even if they're putting this is where I think many people get this wrong. if they're doing QE, it's not because nobody wants dollars they're doing QE because everybody needs dollars. In other words, if nobody needed the dollars, they wouldn't have to create them, right? And so, you know, if if you think QE is coming back, it's because you think there's an incredible demand for dollars. And so, you know, again, all countries are doing this, you know, you know as well as anybody um, that Europe and Japan are already doing all the things that everybody is worried about is eventually going to happen to the dollar. So I'm not saying these things can't happen to the dollar. They certainly can't. It's just that they're already happening everywhere else. And the dollar is, you know, the proverbial cleanest shirt and the laundry, the cleanest dirty shirt, however you want to say it.
0: This must be one of the most compelling stories I've heard to compare the dollar against any other currency. So let me try to, to put some, uh, some order on the already exceptional explanation, Brent, but If I am Brazil uh, and I borrow in dollars, the way I can get my hands on these dollars is basically by having, by exporting stuff for which I get paid in dollars or by trading stuff anyway. So trade flows and money flowing and the economy growing and then it's all great, right? I, I, I borrow in dollars, but also I can get my hands on dollars. Now, when the magic stops, which means either I borrow too much compared to how much I can make or simply trade flows stop or the economy slows down, I end up being indebted in a currency I cannot print. Uh, And again, who prints the currency is not the Fed, but it's the government, but it's the government of Brazil and it can't print dollars. It can print real if they want to, but not dollars. So when that happens, basically, there is an increased demand for dollars. And and that we just talked about an emerging market, we can do the same with a European bank who lends in dollars. European bank doesn't have access to the Federal Reserve in most cases, they will end up creating loans in dollars. Same story. As long as they can get cash flows back and repaid back in dollars, they're fine. If they can't, yeah, then they have a problem. Then they all want dollars, right? right. So what you're saying is There is about 12 or 13 trillion, last time I checked, of dollar-denominated debt that we know of. So this is besides the euro dollar. That's
1: that's the part that can be measured.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's the part we can measure. And that's huge. It's 12, 13 trillion dollars of dollar-denominated debt issued outside the jurisdiction of the United States. And so when things slow down, undoubtedly, people will have to grasp for dollars. And now you're telling me, yeah, but also the euro and Japan are highly indebted. Yes, but the the, the global reserve currency is the dollar, which means that trades happen to be denominated mostly in dollars and not in euro and not in Japanese yen, which means this phenomenon is less prominent in other currencies than it is in the dollar. So when you compare the dollar against other currencies during an economic slowdown in a highly leveraged economy where the dollar is centric, you got to keep that in mind. Is that a fair summary?
1: That's exactly right. And you touched on something else that I think it's important to to explain is because one of the comments that I will get back when I explain this phenomenon is that they will say, yes, Brent, but the dollar is losing value against goods and services. Okay, fair enough. If everybody has if ever, if, if, if we're get, if all fiat is being debased, then it comes down to which fiat is being debased the least. And then they'll give me the argument. So I don't want to own any fiat. It does, you know, just get out of all fiat. Okay. I understand that argument and that makes sense with a portion of your portfolio. So, but if if you wanna go 100% into gold or 100% into Bitcoin or whatever it is, you're welcome to do that. I I personally don't think that's a wise decision, but you're welcome to do that. So you can just go do that and you don't have to worry about anything else. You don't have to be on FinTwit, you don't have to go to conferences, you don't have to read the newspapers because your 100% decision has already been made. But if you want some nuance and if you wanna have a diversified portfolio and you don't think it's wise to put 100% of your money in, then you've gotta pick one of the currencies. The second thing is, is when, when they say that, you know, if all fiat being debased, it doesn't really matter. It actually does. It does matter. Now, if Brazilian real falls dramatically versus the yen, it matters a little bit. Or if the Euro rises dramatically against the Turkish Lira, it matters a little bit. But if the dollar rises against all other currencies, that matters a lot. And it matters a lot, even if all currencies are getting debased. And the reason it matters a lot is what we were just talking about, is that most global corporations, governments, you know, international entities, not just US, again, have all this debt in dollars. The entire monetary system is leveraged off of the US monetary base, which is tiny compared to the entire monetary supply. And so if the underlying collateral Starts to rise versus those other currencies, which is you know. So the dollar starts to rise versus these other currencies. That is how defaults happen, and then we get back to this cascading um, collapse or credit contraction, however you want to describe it. And in that environment, assets, even if they are t- traditionally being debased, will crash. If, if any proof you need, just look back to 2008 and look back to 2020. Commodity prices crashed, gold prices crashed, Bitcoin prices crashed, real estate prices crashed. All of these things are real assets in which you would try to get into if all fiat was being debased. But when the monetary system comes under uh, attack from a deleveraging event, it will have huge implications even for real assets. And so this idea that you can just escape fiat and go live on an island and own gold, and you know, go to a mountaintop and come down to, come back ten years later, and everything's going to be fine. Well, maybe in that extreme scenario, everything will be fine. But the rest of the world is not. The whole world can't move to a mountaintop, right? So the, the rest of the world is going. When you come back down, it's going to be in in, uh, in in ruins.
0: Beautiful again, and Brent. What I have to think to try and explain with you here to the audience is that there are. Two phenomenon, really. There is a phenomenon in which real rates are dropping and they are basically debasing the value, the purchasing power of your bank deposits denominated in euro or in dollars or whatever that is. But if that happens while the economy is growing, while things are under control, if that happens in a controlled fashion, not in a deleveraging episode, then yes, generally the dollar and other fiat currencies will lose value against assets, against equities, against gold, against whatever you want in that case, right? If right. you're witnessing a deleveraging cycle, then the situation is completely different because, as you correctly explained, these hard assets are denominated in dollars at the end of the day. And if you increase the value of the collateral or the, of the denominator, then right. in the in leveraged credit creation system, by definition, you will be reducing the value of the asset itself. So those are two very different environments, and people tend to assign a lot of probability to the former environment that I, that I discussed, right. where real, real rates are negative, and then assets get a tailwind out of that. But the reality is that when you go into the cycle that looks like deleveraging, then it's a completely different ballgame. No, that, that's you, right. That's and right. do you think, Brent, that from a cycle perspective, are we getting you know, towards that uh, deleverage, cyclical deleveraging at least?
1: Yeah, I think towards a cyclical one we are. I'm not sure if we're at the final, mm-hmm. final one, but we're. I mean, I, I in general, I think 2022 here is a is a deleveraging event. Now, is it the deleveraging event? I, I don't know yet. I, I happen to think that this is this whole thing, however you want to describe this thing. I, I think this is going to take longer to play out than most people think. You know, I think a lot of people think we're going to have one big either melt up and then it's all over over the next call it six to 12 months, and other people think we're going to have a meltdown over the next six to 12 months, and then it's all going to be over and we reset and we start again. And I think it's going to be more like you know, six, seven, six or seven years rather than six or seven months. Um, it, it's incredible the ability for governments, central banks, monetary authorities, however you want to describe this this group of people or institutions, it's incredible their ability to come up with a clever way to kick the can down the road. And so I, I hear a lot that the central banks are out of bullets and there's nothing more they can do. Um, I actually don't believe that. I think there's a lot of things they can do. Um, doesn't mean I like it. Doesn't mean I want it to happen this way, but uh, I, I think that they still have a few tricks that they can pull.
0: What I like about your approach when it comes to investing in macro is that you're not married to an If People tend to think you know, you're this perma- uh one, one trick yeah, yeah. only, I think it's called. <laughs> in reality, you, you tend to appreciate the nuances much more than people would maybe imagine. So take take the Eurozone, for example. I mean, these guys now are in a tricky situation. Uh they left to try and raise rates to, to show credibility in fighting inflation, but because of the structure of the Eurozone, there are some weak links here and there: Italy, Greece, Spain, and so on and so forth. Plus, the private sector nobody talks about, but in certain situations, it's tricky there too in Europe. Um, so the the thing is, if I ask you, let's say we go through the cyclical deleveraging brand, and then we look a bit beyond that, do you think we're going to, in the end, after the cyclical deleveraging, go back to situations where central banks can pull another trick out of the hat? And if that trick to continue the status quo of lowering real rates, encouraging further borrowing, further indebtedness in the private and in the public sector how would that trick look like if we are so close to the zero lower bound at that point, I guess, because they left to cut interest rates again. What's the new trick to continue to kick the can down the road?
1: You know, I really, uh, I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know. I I, I think it's likely that we end up back in some form of QE. And when I say we, I guess, I mean, the US because the rest of the world is still doing it, right? <laughs> or not the rest. I mean, there, there's exceptions. Canada has stopped. Australia has stopped. But there's a number, of, you know, Japan is, buying every bond they possibly can. Europe is buying every bond they possibly can. But, you know, it's kind of funny. They had an emergency meeting yesterday to discuss, um, you know, what to do. And, you know, basically the, the result of the meeting was that, well, we're going to, we, we decided we're going to have a plan in order to figure out how to keep some, you know, Spreads low while we're also raising interest rates. I mean, they basically had a meeting to say we're going to have another meeting. Yes. I mean, <laughs> so how this is actually going to work, work I, I don't know. Um, you know, w- one of the things that I've, you know, kind of, I don't know if I pounded the table on this part, but that I've talked a lot about, I've pounded the table on the dollar getting stronger. The, the, the part of my thesis that is probably the most controversial or that I get challenged on the most. Is that I believe we are going to get into a situation where the the dollar, gold, and the Dow, and perhaps rates, I don't know if rates will be part of it, but it wouldn't surprise me, are all rising together. And people will say, well, if you can't have the dollar screaming to 120 or 130 or whatever it is and having equities go up. And I actually think it's possible. Maybe it's not likely, but I think it's possible. And the reason I think it's possible is because I think we're at the coming to the end of this whole debt super cycle where Everywhere is in the same situation, and so what I think happens as we get into this kind of this either cyclical deleveraging or the final deleveraging, whatever available liquidity that there is, and there may not be very much, but I think whatever available liquidity there is will get forced into the dollar and will get forced into U.S. markets, and so I think you know the rest of the world will get squeezed, and you know the juice from the rest of the world will get pushed or pulled, however you want to describe that into the dollar into US dollar assets. And it could get into a situation where we have a sovereign debt crisis and sovereign bonds around the world are getting sold. And so even though QE is happening, rates are still rising, which that is the worst of all worlds. When, 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 when central banks around the world do QE and rates rise anyway, that's gonna be, uh, that's gonna be a sign that the end game is, is on its way. Um, and then that, that, that will ultimately be the death of fiat. Um, but in that scenario, if that happens and you get a situation where sovereign bonds, cause sovereign bonds are the biggest bubble there is, uh, in my opinion, now that, that started to come down, <laughs> that bubble started to deflate already. But if all the money that's in bonds eventually starts to flow out of bonds, they have to flow somewhere else. And I think in that scenario, you know, very large blue chip us equities because it's the biggest market. Um, that could kind of handle those types of flows would get the majority of those flows. And so I could see the Dow and, you know, even some of the Fang stocks, the bigger technology companies getting those flows. And not because, again, and this is not because things are good. When I first started talking about it, I I tried to make it very clear. This is not a story that ends well. And U.S. equities would not be rising because things were good. U.S. equities, I think, can end up in a situation where they're rising because things are very, very bad.
0: Yeah.
1: um but but they they just happen to be the outlet for for what little liquidity that there is
0: sounds like a dollar black hole basically' that yeah, you're that's, describing
1: <laughs> that, that's exactly that's exactly what it is yeah and it, if somebody can if this is one of those cases where i will be happy to be wrong and i think everybody thinks that when the dollar hits 150 i'm gonna do a dance and you know be very happy this this is this will not be a good situation even for me at a at, at, at dxy 150
0: so the, the thing is, this dollar black hole theory, basically, that you are uh, um, presenting here. I think the most most of the pushback you you receive, Brent, is that yeah, if we get to a serious deleveraging episode where even governments, uh, especially the ones who have borrowed in a in a foreign currency, and/or the ones who have the biggest inflation problem, biggest credibility problem. If those are under stress, then, wow, that's a big deleveraging episode. And a big deleveraging episode you normally have, as we discussed before, people grasping for cash dollars, for for cash fiat, really, to try and and repay their liabilities. And normally the outlet for that is just, you know, to make sure you, you, you have bank deposits, you have tangible, spendable usable cash at hand and people would say, well, Brand, I'm not sure that that people would be happy to recycle those inequities. I guess in in that risk environment, imagine that, that could be one of the pushbacks.
1: Sure, sure. Well, and I think the other thing to remember is in this type of, if, if we get into this type of deleveraging event, for this to really, really go off the rails, it would be a situation where, again, the rest of the world, including the U.S., is doing QE so they're, they're 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 trying to provide the liquidity that's necessary, um, but rates are rising anyway, right? And so, you know, the 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 the, the monetary authorities could be could be providing um, the liquidity that's required, but yet people just don't want to buy those bonds, yeah. and so they end up buying all the bonds themselves, and that that's a situation where again, if, if supply is increasing everywhere. Price is ultimately going to come down to demand, and where the because of the U.S. dollar debt, the U.S. dollar demand is much higher than these other currencies. So imagine a scenario where everybody's pouring buckets of new water into the bucket that has holes in it, but they're pouring so much water in, you know, some of it's going to go somewhere, and I and I think that somewhere will ultimately be the U.S. Um, We'll see if this plays out. I. It's very possible I'm wrong
0: interesting theory to say the least I have to say Brent let's bring it back to something more short term for a second which is all right so we talked about this cyclical deleveraging episode and normally in these environments the dollar appreciates you've been extremely right on that call cyclically speaking if I ask you the dollar against what then you look around the world where do you see the most underappreciated underpriced cracks being right now in other currencies against the dollar well so I'll
1: I'll focus on I'll give you a couple of different examples. I think the most underappreciated, probably the most underappreciated is in the Yuan or the Hong Kong dollar. Mm-hmm. I think Hong, I think the, I think China and Hong Kong are in much more trouble than they publicly put forward. And so I think that could be a massive event. Um, that said, I think the, the, the public, it's kind of hard for them to kind of get their arms around, you know, currency pegs and, you know, you know, uh, how that would affect them them personally. Um, but the other other places, I think the this kind of the poster child for everything I talk about is Turkey. Um, this is a country that has to import ninety eight percent of their energy. They have to import a large percent of their food. Those those imports take place in dollars. Uh, they have huge you know U S dollar debts, and their top line revenue is falling, and so you know they're they're printing a lot of Turkey Turkish lira, for lack of a better word, and so you you're seeing that uh, show up in their exchange rate. They're, you know, the the Turkish lira has lost. You know, it's gone from eight to 17 in a year um, or five to 17 in a year. A huge, huge move, huge move. Um, but I think uh, where but the bigger one that I see right now on the horizon is the euro. Um, the yen has already had it's a big move. Um, the yen is down like 15 percent or something yeah. year to date. I think and again, I don't know for sure. And this isn't me giving up on my thesis, but I think we're very close to a point where the yen is going to have a fair market rally. Uh, if we're not there already, I think probably in the next week or so we get there. And maybe in Q3 the the yen rallies versus the dollar just because it's come down so much, and then I think that it will eventually roll over again and go go much, much lower. Uh, but 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 based on the points we were talking earlier about Europe, um, they're in a situation where they they know they have to raise rates because of uh, um, the inflationary pressures that they're feeling. But they also can't raise rates because if they, you know, the the the, the, the countries are still are are still you know uh, in extreme pressure. Um, you know, the southern Europe is is in worse shape than, than northern Europe, and the, they, they're trying to you know it's the proverbial you know riding one horse with two asses type thing, right? They, 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 how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, and so ultimately, I don't think that they're going to be successful in, in exiting their QE program. I think spreads are going to widen. I think eventually uh, we'll get into a situation um, where the the EU, the the EU itself will come under threat. Um, you know, it's interesting Alf. that and, and I say this, this doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. It, it's 10 years now since Draghi said whatever it takes. And think about that. Think about what a big crisis they were in in 2012. And yet he came out. I mean, this is the power of central banks. He said, you know, I will do or we will do whatever it takes. And believe me, it will be enough. And here we are 10 years later, and we're still talking about the same stuff. So this stuff can take a long time to play out. That's true. a very, you know, the, this whole inevitable versus imminent thing. You know, I always get these old oh, Brent, the, the dollar falling is inevitable. Gold rising is inevitable. Okay, fine. That could be 30 years from now. You know, <laughs> true maybe it'll be tomorrow but you know i don't think i whenever you should never place certainty on and 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 in in the same in the same sentence
0: brent the market can be irrational longer than we can be solvent that's what i learned as well and running uh, money i also learned that it's easy to say uh, i want to be short italian government bonds because they're going to implode and they can't handle that It's very expensive to keep such a position because they yield freaking 4% that you have to give away, basically, as as a carry to be short. And so it's easy to say one thing. It's very difficult to time these these imploding events. Otherwise, it would be too much of an easy game, right? I mean, insurance policies are normally expensive when the house is on fire, isn't
1: it? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, think about it. The situation in Europe now is not dramatically different than it was in 2010 or 11, right? And then, again, like I said, in 2012, Draghi comes out and says uh, whatever it takes. And here Ooh. it's 10 years later and you're still short the Italian, you know, the BTPs. I mean, that's yeah. hard to do, right? And yeah. so, um, yeah.
0: Brent, I would like to thank you for being a guest here. That's been a very good conversation. I really enjoyed it. If people want to find more about you and shame on you guys if you don't follow Brent already. But in case they don't, where, they can, where can they find you?
1: So uh, I have a a website with really just my a little bit of information about my, my firm and um, my contact information. It's Santiago capital.com. I'm very active on Twitter. If you go to Twitter and you type in, you know, Santiago capital um, you'll, you'll find me and I'm pretty active there. And, um, you know, YouTube or, or Google and just type in Brent Johnson, Santiago Capital, number of links. Uh, I mean, many of them with you at this point. So you know, go look up some of those old ones. And uh, I appreciate you having me on. You've been a kind of a breath of fresh air over the last year as you've kind of transitioned from the, you know, managing money to, to, to trying to educate people on what's going on out there. So I think you do a pretty good job of it.
0: Thanks, Brent. And I can only recommend people to follow you and your work as well. Um, in case you want to find me, you know where to find me, the Macro Compass. It's my free newsletter. Subscribe to the Blockers Macro channel so you can hear me and Brent talk again next time we do. Brent, thanks for being
1: here. Have a great day.